Good morning, Crosspoint family. Good to see everyone. Welcome. What a blessing to be among you, God's children who desire to worship God through, through songs and through Bible studies. We get to, to know God better. Really happy to be here. For all of our online attendees, welcome. And we're glad also that you are able to join us. If you're here for the first time or you haven't been here very long, we would love to be able to stay in touch with you. So I would just, I would just encourage you to go online to crosspointchristianchurch.com. Scroll all the way down and you'll find a simple contact form to fill out. And uh, that will allow us the opportunity to email you our newsletter like we do on Saturday evenings. You get a chance to know what's going on, events that are coming up. You won't have an excuse of not knowing when the 5K run just happened yesterday, right? Had some of you tell me like, hey, so when are we, when's the 5K happening? Like, ah, it was yesterday. Yeah, you, you missed it. I'm sure you were really disappointed. Uh, but I want to take the time to thank everybody that was in charge of putting that together, the volunteers. Um, I, I don't know why we do that to ourselves, you know, running like that. But uh, it was a lot of fun. For me, it was really special just hanging out in the park with, with all of you that, that attended and just kind of hanging out. Felt like we hadn't done that in a while. So outside of here. So thank you, and uh, for those that participated, uh, it was a fundraiser, and uh, we'll see how, how that uh, impacts God's kingdom, but we, in the meantime, did have a lot of fun, and um, I didn't win, I didn't win. But my goal, I told you guys, my goal was to not be last, and I believe that I accomplished that, and so that's a good thing. I was somewhere in the middle, I think. I almost lost consciousness in the last half mile, but it was, it was great, so thank you. I want to announce, too, that uh, this coming Saturday is our KMG event. And so I realize that if you've never been to one of these events, you probably have no idea what we're talking about. Maybe you don't know who Frank Sontag is. He's a friend of our ministry here. Um, and he has a, a ministry called KMG, Kingdom Men's Gathering. So he feels a calling from the Lord to uh, deal with men, encourage men, equip men. And so in Anaheim, this coming Saturday, March 5th, 8 a.m., there's an event for, for guys to get together and be encouraged by some, what we would call maybe like high-profile people that have a great testimony, uh, a really good God story that is often encouraging. Um, so I know there's going to be um, ex-mobster Mike Franzies, and, and um, he's got a really interesting story. Um, an ex-major uh, league baseball player that has a really interesting story. So I would encourage you to attend. I'm hoping that we take at least 30 guys. The uh, registrations have been a little slow, but um, there's a clipboard out in the front with Brother Pena. And uh, you can sign up there. The tickets are $20, but I've said this before. And pretty much for any event in our church, we never want anybody to miss out on an event because of uh, a financial hardship. And so if the $20 are an issue for you right now, just let us know. And don't worry about it. The church will cover that uh, without a problem. It will be our, our pleasure to be able to do that. Okay? But... I'm talking to at least 30 guys out there. If you haven't signed up, please see us. If you have any questions, see us. You can go online and, and read all about, you know, what KMG is about. Uh, we've had Frank Sontag here as a guest speaker before, and uh, we're still in touch with him. I think it's a really good thing. So for us men, we don't have a lot going on just for men here at Crosspoint right now. We hope to change that soon. But this is an event that we could kind of rally around uh, and hang out for, for some hours and be encouraged. Okay? So... See Brother Pena, and please sign up. First 30, get a ticket. Um, lastly, I have one more thing that I wanted to share. 
that is. Oh yeah, I just want to mention the Bible Bowlers. They're here today. Uh, you've probably noticed they've, they've been out pretty much every other weekend. Uh, they were at uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico last weekend. Next weekend, Lord willing, they're going to be in Arizona, Mesa, Arizona, uh, competing. Uh, if you don't know what that is, that's our young people, uh, intermediate and high school. They are studying the book of uh, Genesis. And they go to different churches in different states sometimes, like they are uh, next week. And they compete against other youth from other churches. They get asked about 100 questions and they see who has the best answers or the most good answers. And they uh, get trophies and just a really nice experience. So if you're part of that, I'm, I'm glad that you are. Uh, for the parents that uh, encourage your kids to be part of that, I think it's a really good thing. So thank you. Um, and uh, next week we'll be shorthanded again because what's really cool is every time they're out of town, half of our staff is missing. Which means these kids are not just learning the Bible, but they're also applying it. They're serving here at church. And when they're, they're gone, we really miss them. And so thank you guys. I know a lot of them are up there and behind the cameras and all that good stuff. So I just want to mention that. And for those of you like David Doolittle and his staff uh, that are uh, in charge of that, thank you. That's a really great thing you're doing, investing in this. These uh, are our children. Okay, that's it for announcements. I want to look at John chapter 1. We're going to continue with Luke this morning, but... John chapter 1, the gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 29, says something really interesting that I think will help us in preparation to take communion. If you, if you didn't grab one of these to take communion with us and you wish to do so, just raise your hand and Jason will come around and provide you one. So we're going to take communion. These are the elements. Raise your hand if you are missing one and you would like one. But then in preparation for that, John chapter 1, verses 29. I don't want to confuse anyone, but the gospel according to John was written by John the Apostle. And here he's going to talk about John the Baptist, who we're going to talk about this morning in Luke 3. All right, but look at what John the Apostle writes in regards to John the Baptist saying about Jesus, our Lord. So verse 29 says that the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist's ministry was one of pre preparing the way for our Lord. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, he tells everybody that was around, he says, Look, behold, you see him right there? That is Jesus, that is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist's ministry and life was devoted to pointing to Jesus, the only Savior. And I just love how he chooses to identify Jesus as God's Lamb. And that was a whole reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system where from the beginning, God required blood to be shed, a life to be taken for the sin of us people. And he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who through his death would give us forgiveness of sins, eternal life. When we take communion, as you peel back the first layer here, you take the bread that symbolizes the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was nailed to the cross. We're grateful to our Lord for doing this sacrifice 
and we take this together. As you peel back the second layer, you reveal the Jews that represents, it symbolizes the precious blood of the Lamb of God, of Jesus Christ our Lord, that was shed on our behalf. Life, the Bible says, life is in the blood. And when Jesus sacrificed himself on that cross and he shed his blood, he was giving his life as an atonement, as a payment for our sins. We accept that by faith and we're grateful. Let's take that together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for allowing us this beautiful opportunity to gather as your children, to honor you, to make remembrance of your love and your willingness to give up your one and only son in order that he would take our place at the cross of Calvary. And Lord Jesus, we're thankful for that sacrifice and your willingness to give yourself for us. And we're grateful, Holy Spirit, for your revelation. We know that this message, this gospel message is, is craziness, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But only by your grace we recognize that we believe it and we accept it. So we thank you. We pray for everyone who's here, everyone who's watching online. Guide us and lead us as we open up your word. Speak to us. Transform us. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, beloved. This morning we're going to continue with Luke. We are literally zooming through Luke. We're already in chapter 3, if you can believe that. Ch chapter 3 of Luke. And um, obviously we're not covering as much as really I would like to. But um, one of my goals as a pastor is not just to stand here it's not for me just to study all week in preparation for a message and then deliver the message and just hope you liked it and, and hope you come back next week. That's, that, that's not my goal. My goal is to express God's word as he intended to be expressed and, and received and to encourage you to be good students of the word. I, I, I trust, I, I, I am certain that you'll never regret the time that you invest and the energy that you invest in becoming a better student of God's word. So I say that so that you can read ahead. So we're going through Luke. I know in my growth group we're having a great time. We're going through Luke as well, but we're going way faster. We're going to be doing chapters 9 through 12 this coming Tuesday. And so we'll finish that way faster than what we'll finish Luke here on Sunday mornings. But the idea is for us to, to read, to study, to seek God through his word, to ask questions. It is, our, it is such a privilege for us to know God and to know more of him. Is, there, there's got to be no higher priority in our lives. And so I want to encourage you to really take ownership and of your responsibility to be a good disciple of Jesus Christ, a good student of the word. And so what we do here on Sunday mornings is I'm going to preach and give a message on chapter 3 today. Starting on chapter 3, we're going to go all the way through verse 14, 1 through 14. The title of this morning's message is Fruit of Repentance. And I've got to tell you that I had a, I don't want to say a hard time preparing for this message, but I really feel the weight of this message. Uh, this topic of repentance 
is really, really important. And so uh, I trust that, that God has prepared me to deliver this message. And I trust that the Holy Spirit and his sovereignty will minister to you. I, I, I remember one of the biggest thrills in my life is as a teenager sitting at church, listening to my pastor and knowing that God was speaking to me. I don't know what thrills you, but as a teenager, on Wednesday nights, Sunday evenings or Sunday mornings, listening to whether it's my Sunday school teacher or my pastor preach or teach and knowing that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, regardless of who was doing what around me, I knew that God was speaking to me. And I love that. That's something that I cherish now when I study the word or I listen to a good uh, pastor or teacher on the radio. To know that God, in his, through his living word, speaks to me is incomparable. There's, there's nothing better. So that's my hope, that this morning God will speak to you through, through this message. Again, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The title is Fruit of Repentance. I got that phrase right from that text. But I want to share with you a, uh, a key verse. It's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, here Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the idea here is that Peter is writing to a group of people that were suffering while on earth. And if you read uh, his epistles, He's talking about, hey, you know, you're going to suffer, but don't worry. There's something better at the end of this life. And some people, as they were suffering, they were beginning to feel like, hey, wait, Jesus said he's coming back and he hasn't yet. What's going on? Why is he delaying? And Peter says, hey, he's not slackful. He's, he's got perfect timing. And what some people say, hey, the Lord is just taking way too long. Peter here explains that what God is doing is he's actually long-suffering. He's patient. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to die without having made peace with God. He doesn't want anyone to be condemned. And so he's patient because he wants everyone to come to repentance and find eternal life, to come to Jesus. And that's our hope. Here at Crosspoint, you know, we have a simple discipleship process. There's a reason for that. We want to make disciples. And we believe that God has people out there, and those are your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your teammates, that God wants for them to come to repentance. And so here at Crosspoint, we want to make things simple. We want to say, invite your friends Sunday morning. Have them come. Have them see what God is doing here. Have them hear the word of God. And then as they come on Sunday morning, which is our first step in our simple discipleship process, after a while, we're going to invite them to be part of a growth group, to commit to growth. And that's step two. You find a small group that meets during the week, somebody's home or maybe here at church, and you have a curriculum, you're studying the word, but you get a chance to meet other people, to ask questions from your leaders, to learn from others, to be encouraged, to be held accountable. And then the third step is for us to take that step of obedience and, and, and serve this world, serve God by serving this world with God's love. Finding what it is that God has chosen you for. Why did he take you out of this world? Why has he equipped you and given you the story that you only have so that you can use it 
for other people's benefit. And mainly so that you can tell of God's love, redeeming power. And in doing that, we bring new people in. And we get a chance to share the gospel with them. And invite them to grow together. And invite them to serve and find God's purpose for their life so that they can reach more people. That's the idea. So we want people to come to repentance. They're going to come to repentance as they hear the message of salvation. They're going to hear the bad news that we're all sinners. And they're going to hear the best news that though we are sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place at the cross. So here's the main point for this morning's message. A life full of evidence of repentance brings glory to God. Repentance is not a one-time deal. It occurs as part of the process of salvation. There's got to come a point in time in your life where you realize, and, and I believe this is what God does, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. He reveals to us that when it comes to a holy and perfect God, we human beings, every single one of us, are spiritually bankrupt. And there's nothing that we can offer God to impress him and say, look, yeah, I know I'm a rotten sinner, but look at what I've done. And God's going to be like, wow, I didn't realize that. Let's forget about all your bad stuff then. That doesn't happen. And yet, even though I'm oversimplifying it, that's what most people believe. That they're going to get to the presence of God and somehow say, yeah, I'm a rotten sinner, but, but look, I mean, I did do these good things. Isn't that good enough? And God would say, no, not even close. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. Anything else, you will always come short. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. There's only one Savior and one way of being saved, and that is through Jesus and what he did for us at the cross. People need to hear that. People need to hear that. And you know what's great? Some of you have heard that many times before. And it came in through one ear and out the other. And it made no impact in your life. But we trust that through God's living and powerful word, there will come a day where you're going to know that God is speaking to you. And he's going to convict you of your sin. You're going to realize that if you were to die today, you would go straight to hell for all of eternity. And then you're going to realize by the power of the Holy Spirit that you don't have to go there. You don't have to remain under condemnation. That is the very reason why Jesus came to die for us. Because he wants everyone to come to repentance. To turn from that life without God. That life of selfishness. And turn to him for forgiveness and salvation. So let's get right to it. Let's get right to it. Let's go through Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I have four uh, points that I want to share with you. And keep in mind this main point, which is that a life full of evidence of repentance brings glory to God. We should be wanting to be able to see evidence, fruit of repentance in our lives. To be able to look back and say, man, I am not where I should be and could be. But I sure am glad that I am not where I used to be. We're going to share some verses that are uh, kind of speak about that. So if you have a Bible, turn there. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. And Luke chapter 3, small background. Last week we talked about parenting because we, we looked at the story where our Lord Jesus Christ was 12 years old. And, and by the way, he didn't get lost. 
right? His parents lost him, but he wasn't lost. He knew exactly where he was, and he was exactly where he wanted to be. But Joseph and Mary did misplace the Lord. That was at 12 years old. And then it reads that towards the end of that chapter 2, it says that he went down to Galilee to Nazareth, and he was subject to his parents for another 18 years, which is where we pick up chapter 3. So from the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3, about 18 years have passed. And we have virtually no information about the Lord's life for those 18 years. I mean, Luke is the only one that really shares anything in regards to the Lord's, you know, preteen life. And then from 12 to 30, we virtually hear nothing about him. And that's where we pick up. And remember, John the Baptist is the Lord's relative cousin And he's about six months older than the Lord. So we're going to start in verse 3. Just pay attention. I I was tempted to get into the whole history of this. Do it for homework. But look at Luke who said he was going to be thorough in his, not just investigation, but his presentation of the gospel of Jesus' story. And I'm just, I'm blown away by his attention to detail. So chapter 3 Luke, the author of the gospel according to Luke, starts by saying, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of uh, Idaria and the, the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. So he just gives like this super detail. He's, he, wants, he wants Theophilus, who was a... A Roman uh, official who knew his Roman history, I just find it interesting that Luke could have just said, you know, the other day. But he doesn't. He says, it would be like, you know, when President Biden was president in the U.S. And then Governor Newsom was governing California. And, and then he would go down to the county. That, that's kind of what he does. And, and the history behind this is, is uh, very rich and very interesting, but we won't get into that. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, it says, when all this happened, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So point number one that I want to mention here, and what we want to do in this message is, is talk about the message of repentance. So... The message of repentance, and then I have four points that I want to share with you. So here's point number one. The message of repentance, point number one, is initiated by God. And I think that's important. One thing you're going to find that repentance is is mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible. But many times it's not mentioned as repentance. You'll see it especially in the Old Testament. God will say, turn from or turn to. And all of that has the idea of repentance. So let me take a minute to talk about repentance a little bit. What is repentance? I think most of us have a false or a faulty or, or we fall short in understanding repentance. Right? You do something wrong and you say like, oh yeah, but man, I repent of that. I feel really bad about it. And then you might find yourself doing it again and feeling bad about it again. And then you think, you, but I repented, I felt so bad. And we think that maybe repentance is this feeling of guilt. And repentance is a lot more than that. Repentance has to do with a change of mind. A change of mind. This is really important. Because why we do things has to do with 
you know, everything starts in the mind. Your ideas, your values, the way you see things, the way you perceive stuff. And so repentance has to do with a change of mind that results in a turning from what is bad and a turning to what is good, mainly turning, turning towards God. So repentance has to do with understanding that what I am doing in, engaged on, is wrong. Not just feeling bad about it, but saying it's wrong, this offends God, it's against God's will. And then making the decision to turn from that and then start heading in the opposite direction. That is repentance. It's not just feeling bad because we all feel bad. You know, Judas felt really bad for having betrayed the Lord and having taken those 30 pieces of silver. But he didn't repent. He hung himself. He felt bad about what he did, but he didn't turn towards God for forgiveness, which he would have found. He fell short of repentance. So repentance has to do with more than just a feeling of guilt. It has to do with a turning from something towards something else. It has to do with turning from sin, which displeases God, and turning and going towards God. We're going to see that. We're going we're to explain that further. But understanding that the message of repentance begins or it's initiated by God. And repentance did not start with John the Baptist. It started from the Old Testament. Uh, one of the, the, the clear, from Adam and Eve, when the Lord said, what have you done? And they hid. They had an opportunity to either come back to the Lord and take what God was offering them. Or they had an opportunity to, to walk away, which their son Cain did after he killed Abel. God speaks to Cain. He says, hey, Cain, why would you do that for? I'm paraphrasing. He says, don't you know? You know, basically, you can find forgiveness in me. Why, why won't you come back to me? And Cain made a decision to walk away from God. He didn't repent. So all the way from the Old Testament, right from the beginning, all the way to, to Revelation. The whole entire Bible has to do with the message of salvation and repentance being an essential part of that equation. Without repentance, there is no salvation. But it's initiated by God. Right? It says that, that uh, John was in the wilderness and God's word comes to John and John immediately begins to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins and baptism of repentance. But we see that it was initiated by God. I think that's important. Let me share with you a couple of verses. Acts 17.30. Here Paul says, in the past God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See, once you have this information, at one time or another, beloved, we were all dead in our sins and trespasses, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the promises of God. We didn't know. Even if you grew up in church, I believe. But there comes a point in time where God reveals his truth to you. And then comes the decision to be made. You're going to be okay with just continuing on with your life, doing things as you please? Or are you going to, re as you realize that you're offending God with your life and your actions, are you going to turn from that and turn to him? So he says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Ezekiel 18.32, 
God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. And then he says, repent and live. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see how many times God, in his incredible patience and long-suffering, would call Israel unto repentance. And would give them one and two and three and unlimited chances to repent and come back to him. I'll share one more verse. Matthew 4.17. Matthew says that from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And what did Jesus preach? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You look at what Paul used to preach by commandment of God. And Paul preached repentance. Peter preached repentance. The apostles preached repentance. Repentance is very important. In the modern Western church, you have something that's called, that some people call easy believism. The idea that you will go to church for the first time, maybe they invited you, you thought you were going to the movies, and then, boom, you get hit with some information, and then somebody will say like, now, wouldn't you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now and escape, you know, the condemnation and eternal hell? And you're thinking like, I don't know, what do I have to do? Nothing, nothing, just come and... And pray or come and just where you are, just as you are. And there is some truth to that. You know, none of us clean up ourselves in order to be saved. But the easy believism would say, don't worry about anything, just accept Jesus. You don't even know who Jesus is, but just accept him. And then maybe you repeat a prayer and then somebody will give you, I believe, a false sense of security and say, now that you've prayed that prayer, welcome to God's family. And then you're thinking like, yeah, that felt really good. And then you leave and there is no fruit of repentance in your life. And you become this very confused individual going through church, learning Christianese, maybe. Going to church, enjoying the social aspects of church. Maybe being critical of the church because people are weird. But never seen any real evidence of salvation, any fruit of repentance. So we got to be careful with that. I, 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 don't, I don't believe I have the authority to give you the assurance of your salvation. I'll say that now. You won't find me saying like, hey, you've been coming to church for 10 years. I know you're saved. That's not for me to say. I believe the Holy Spirit would convict you. I believe the Holy Spirit would... In, in Romans, uh, the Holy Spirit gives testimony to our spirit that we are children of God. And it won't be based on your decision per se one day or, or whether you got baptized in water. But you're going to know when you're a new creature in Christ. And you're going to know. And then by virtue of that fact, there's going to be fruit of repentance there's going to be these evidences that you are a child of God, that you're no longer the same old you, but that something supernatural has occurred. And for that, we're grateful. As Christians, we call each other brothers and sisters. We're assuming we're children of God. And some of that assumption comes from being able to see God working in your life. And beloved, all of us, all of us should be very interested. I remember being a teenager, 12, 13 years old, being very interested and wanting to know that I am indeed a child of God, that I'm not fooling myself, that I'm not just riding on my parents' faith and assuming that I am a child of God. I really wanted to know 
that I am in the faith. And, I, and that came around eighth grade for me. Understanding that Jesus hung on that cross for my sin. And that what he did at the cross, he did it for me out of love. And that there's no other way to be saved other than to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. All right. The message of repentance, point number one, is initiated by God. Point number two. Sorry, did we read, uh, did we read that far? Yeah, we did. So point number two is that the message of repentance was accompanied by baptism. So let's start in verse number three. And when he, John the Baptist, went out into the region around the Jordan, preaching baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So as God revealed to John and he gave him this message, that, that conversation is not recorded. But we see what happened with John. After receiving the word from the Lord, he went out and started preaching repentance or baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, we're not going to get into it today, and it's, it is going to come up. John's baptism, is it different from Christian baptism? And I would say yes, and we're actually going to see a couple verses there. Maybe that's something that you can take on and, and, and research. But here, John preached a um, message of repentance, and his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Remember, I think this is key, remember that John the Baptist's job was to point to the Savior, to prepare the way for Jesus. And so a lot of these people that came to be baptized, they were being baptized onto John's baptisms of repentance in preparation for the Savior. That might be a little confusing. We'll talk about it a little bit here and we'll, it'll, it'll continue to come, up, to come up. So it was accompanied by baptism. And we, we just read that. Let me read to you Acts 19, 3 and 5. Well, let me, let me explain baptism. So John the Baptist begins to baptize. In the Old Testament, you have certain rituals of purification where people, in, you know, water was involved. Um, at, at that time, baptism was really limited to when non-Jews would, would, would identify with the Jewish faith they would be baptized. So in this time before John the Baptist started baptizing, really when you heard somebody being baptized, it was a Gentile being baptized into the Jewish faith. So when John the Baptist comes around and starts baptizing people with the baptism of repentance, that was really significant because for a Jew to take on this ritual, he was really humbling himself and saying, I am like a Gentile coming into this faith as I submit myself to this baptism of repentance. It was definitely a humbling thing. When John the Baptist calls people unto repentance, he's saying, recognize your sin, recognize that you're way off, and submit yourself to this baptism of repentance, which symbolizes that you're humbling yourself, you're accepting the fact that you are a sinner, that you're not right with God, and that you need to subject yourself under God's authority. And so people that came to be baptized was actually a very humbling. When we baptize people now, it's very similar. I heard somebody uh, explain or compare a water baptism to a public execution. 
You know, when you get baptized as a Christian, you come and say, I want to be baptized. I want to identify myself with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I'm saying I am crucified together with Christ, like Paul says in um, Galatians 2.20. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And even the life that I now live as a new creature, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. When a, an adult who has heard and accepted and received the message of salvation wants to identify with Christ through water baptism, it symbolizes that you are accepting the fact that you need to be cleansed, that who you are comes short of God's glory, and you need to identify with Christ in his death, burial, and his resurrection as we become new creatures in Christ. That's why Christians get baptized. And so once you understand the gospel and you know that God has done a saving work in your life, we encourage you to be baptized, to take that step. And you're declaring publicly that I belong to Jesus, that I am a new creature in Christ. And it's only because Jesus took my place at the cross. So it was accompanied by baptism. Acts 19, 3 and 5. Very interesting portion here. In Acts chapter 19, verses 3 to 5, Paul goes to Ephesus and he, he finds 12 disciples, 12 believers. But he says, Paul asked them, oh, Paul asked them, um, have you, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They're like, we never even heard of such a thing. What do you mean? And then Paul says, so you're baptized, you're a believer. What baptism did you get baptized under? And they say, well, we were, this is where it picks up. So verse 3 and 5 in chapter 19 of Acts says, then Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That's what, that's what uh, Paul was saying that John was doing. John was baptizing people with the baptism of repentance. And he was telling them to trust in the one that was coming right after him. Let me read that again. Then what baptism did you receive? And they replied, John's baptism. And then Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they received the Holy Spirit. The difference between uh, John's baptism and the Christian baptism um, is, is clearly stated there. And repentance is a big part of that. So it was accompanied by baptism is all I wanted to share on that point. I want to move on. Point number three, the message of repentance seeks to avoid God's wrath. Very important. So let me continue reading here so we read the whole thing. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, this is speaking about John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitude that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, what, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So as people were coming to John to be baptized with his baptism of repentance, they were recognizing that John was saying, if you don't get baptized and you don't recognize your, your fallen state, 
you are exposed and you should expect God's wrath. And so the whole idea here is that baptism, repentance, salvation has to do with us wanting to escape the wrath of God. I remember R.C. Sproul was talking one time. He said he was talking to a group of pastors. And he says, okay, I have a question for you guys. We're saved, right? We're like, yeah, we're saved. Saved from what? Ah, saved from our sins, saved from uh, sin, saved from this, saved from that. And he says, no, we're saved from one thing, saved from God's wrath. Your salvation has to do with being saved from God's wrath because that is the only thing you deserve. That sounds so mean. In case you ever feel, I don't know, Mike's a little hard on us. I should preach like John the Baptist. People come to be baptized. He's offering a baptism of repentance. People come to him to be baptized. And what does he say? Welcome? He says, you brood of vipers. Who taught you to flee from the wrath to come? How's that for him? Welcome to our church. Right? So, so in comparison, I'm quite the nice guy here. Um, and, and just for clarification, he didn't say that to everybody. If you read uh, Matthew's account, it says that when the Pharisees and the self-righteous religious leaders came to want to be baptized, that's whom he's really talking to. He didn't say that to the people that came with a repentant heart. He was talking, he was saying that to the self-righteous religious leaders. You brood of vipers, why are you here? Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? So the message of repentance seeks to avoid God's wrath. Let me share a couple of verses real quick here. Matthew 10, 28. This is Jesus speaking. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Beloved, hell is God's righteous judgment upon the sinner. It's not the devil's home. God created it for the devil and his followers. And he desires no one to go there. That's why he's patient. And that's why he's done everything possible to make a way for us to be saved. Mainly his son Jesus and what he did at the cross. Romans 5.9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So Paul is saying, we've been saved, we've been justified. We've escaped God's wrath because Christ has saved us. But it seeks to avoid God's wrath. Beloved, God's message is clear. If we've not accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we've not come into relationship with him, if we have not accepted the gospel message, if we're not new creatures in Christ, if we have not been born again of the Spirit, then we are already under condemnation. John explains that very well in chapter 3. See, most people are thinking we're neutral. And then once we die, we're going to get to heaven. God's going to say, all right, let me take a look. Records? No, beloved. You and I are already under condemnation. It's only a matter whether you are saved from that or whether you stay in your condemned state. Point four. The message of repentance, so I said it's initiated by God, it was accompanied by baptism, it seeks to avoid God's wrath. And point number four, last one, it demands true evidence. And this is really where I want to spend most of my time. It demands true evidence. So let me read uh, 
all the way to verse 14. So verse 8. After John says, who, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, and I love this. Check out this example of the true attitude that is required for salvation. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? See how they submit. They're saying, like, you tell us what to do. We're at your mercy. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Don't be selfish. Share. Don't think only about yourself. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he says to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? You see that disposition to say, they could have just said like, oh, that guy's crazy. He's telling us to do this and that, pointing on our sins. No, people's willingness to submit and say, what do I need to do? And then John is just pointing out the obvious. This is so interesting. So, tax collectors were known for this problem of wanting to collect more than what they should. But was that their only sin? No. The soldiers, was that their only problem? No. And the people, was that their only issue? You know, they had too much food and too much clothing? That wasn't the only issue, but John is pointing out this attitude so that if you were to submit to God, which we all should, and we come to him in prayer on our knees and say, Lord, what do I, I need to submit to you. What do I need to repent from? What would God say? And I would submit to you that you already know what God is telling you to need to repent from. That none of us are really ignorant about what we need to repent from. So it's not really a matter of, I don't know. I want to repent, but I don't know from what. Yeah, right. Ask your wife. Ha, ha, ha. Ask your husband or your kids. They'll give you a list. So it's really the attitude that we have. And the question becomes, when God reveals where you come up short, are you willing to submit to him and repent from that? Are you willing to turn from that and, and seek the Lord? It demands evidence. Let me finish reading here. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. How interesting. Super interesting, but we'll get into that. I'll share a couple of verses with you. James chapter 2, verse 17. So the idea here that, that true repentance demands evidence and fruit of repentance. I was, I was going to entitle this message evidence of repentance, but fruit of repentance, which is what John demands of the people, is better. Because any of one of us can muster up some evidence that we are really Christians. Look, Mike, I stopped doing this and I did that. And, and you know, this week I did really well here. And we could do certain things to make us appear better. But when it comes to fruit, beloved, that is what naturally comes from something. 
And that's what you and I really need to be concerned with. Is there fruit in your life? Not something that you yourself came up with, but is there fruit naturally coming out of your life that indicates that you are a new creature in Christ, that true repentance has really occurred? And that's not something you can fool yourself into or fool other people into believing that, that, whoa, look, I'm much better than I was before. I'm talking about fruit. Is there love in your life? A supernatural love for God and for your brothers and sisters, for the church, the bride of Christ. Is there peace in your life? Not the kind you pretend like, oh, yeah, my wife's fine, but I'm okay. And you're having a breakdown. I'm talking about the kind of peace that, sur that surpasses all understanding, the Bible says, but that surprises you. Like, oh, boy, I don't know why I'm not panicking right now. Normally I would have been on the floor rolling around. And I have this peace in me. How about joy? Is there joy in your life despite your circumstances, knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that at any moment this life can end or the Lord can come and everything that I was worried about no longer matters. This joy that comes from knowing that we have been made God's children, that we have peace with God, not just now but for all eternity. Love, joy, peace, obedience. Not just when people are watching, look, oh, there's Pastor Mike, I better get my act together right now. But is there obedience in your life, in your personal life, when it comes to integrity, is there obedience? All these things are fruit of repentance that you have indeed come into relationship with Christ, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And beloved, that's thrilling. It's convicting for all of us, it should be. But it's also thrilling if you're able to see evidence of true repentance in your life. That there's something there that you know is there only because God is there. I'll read a couple of verses. James 2.17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. For you to say, I have faith, but I have nothing to show for it. James would say, you're fooling yourself. Your faith is dead. It's no real faith at all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had towards you, that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Later on this afternoon, real quick, I'm going to go meet somebody that I reached out to. He's a pastor in San Gabriel. Um, and I was reading his bio and he, he's, uh, he was a football player at USC. Um, he, he coached for the Seattle Seahawks. And now he gave all that up to be a pastor. And I was reading his bio. You know what he says? He goes, by God's grace, he took my idol of football and he used that to reach me at USC through teammates and such. And I love that phrase. He, used my, he recognizes that football was his idol and he says, in God's grace and through his power, he even used my idol as a tool to reach me. And now he's turned from that and he's devoted his life to serving God. That's the kind of evidence we want to see, the fruit of repentance. That's what he's telling the Thessalonians. They turn from idols to serve the true God. And an idol is anything that you value more than God. Or anything that rivals your devotion and love for God. And we all have those. Last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous 
will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11, I love. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Such were some of you. And praise God for that. We're not where we should be and could be, but we're not where we were. That's what God took us out of by his grace. Repentance. The need for us to recognize our sin, not just feel bad about it, but turn from it and move towards God in the opposite direction that we were before. It's something that we all need to be able to experience. That's, that's a conversion. We've gone from being dead spiritually to alive spiritually, new creatures in Christ. And having a life full of evidence of repentance... Having fruit of repentance is what glorifies God. It's what God uses to attract other people to him. When people see you and say, whoa, is that you? In high school you were, I remember in college you were, we grew up together, knew who you were. What's going on with you? To be able to say, I'm no longer that person by God's grace and give him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for all of your blessings. But what an honor, what a blessing, what a privilege to be called your children. Not because of who we are, but, but who you are, what you've done for us. And at the same time, Father, we recognize that we all fall short. Even as believers, there are things in our lives that displease you. Help us to be honest about that. Help us to turn from that and turn to you. We pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. I pray in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen. God bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.